Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James and well, tonight's going to be a tough episode. There's no being around the bush from that one. We're going to look back at Fulham's 3-0 defeat to Brentford and just generally a bit of a chat of what on earth is going on at Fulham at the moment. We're six games into a season, three in the league, three in the cup, and now we've been humbled by our rivals. That We beat only two months in a playoff final and it's quite hard to believe because it was a shambolic performance at Brentford's Legoland Stadium tonight and... I think we're all hurting a little bit. So some honest conversation tonight on the podcast coming up and uh, I hope you've got the stomach for it. Uh, Joining me on the pod today is George Singer. Hello, mate. And Jack Collins. Hello, mate. How you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Jack, um, I was joking earlier in our WhatsApp group that whenever Fulham really has a low ebb, it's always you and I together. So we did a weird whispering pod once after Huddersfield away, which you uh, all Aye. might remember um, because we were in my mate's flat and we didn't want to wake him up. We also did the pod after Southampton away in the Premier League, which was kind of just a real horrible night, I see, I seem to recall. And me and you did the pod after that. And that's where the, the banner was there where it said, risk-free, are you watching Tony Khan? We also did the pod after Brentford away last season, which really felt like an idea. So it's only right, Jack, that after tonight's game, which again really feels like a low ebb, that we're once again sh- shooting the breeze on Fulhamish. Yeah, you know, you bring, it's a big moment when uh, when we're both on a pod together. You know, these days we, we tend to, to hand over the the hosting between us. So when we're on together, it, it always seems to be something wrong. And, and, and it, alas, something is hugely wrong today. Yeah, well, it's nice to have a singer here as well, being uh, the third wheel in our morbid Fulham conversation. Yeah, it's fun to be on. I did say beforehand, like, if you guys fancied another whispering episode, I'd give it a miss because that was a bit weird and I didn't really feel like doing that. But uh, yeah, no, always good to join you guys, even if it's in uh, pretty miserable circumstances. Yeah, well, Jack, um, let's do a few three-word reviews. It, it feels so much less fun to do three-word reviews when it's in circumstances like this, but they come in, we should broadcast them because people enjoy putting them in. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to start with, with Sophie Johnson's magic to tragic, which I thought was, <laughs> was exceptional. <laughs> Sophie's been in the, in the Fulham News this week after it was her that, uh, that Tony replied to. Oh, off, what, the Yo-Yo Club Club tweet? Yes, Yo-Yo I saw. Tweet. So, um, yeah, well, this is the second big moment for, for <laughs> in the week. But I'd imagine this one is is a little bit darker but you know I, I thought that was probably the the pick of the bunch if I'm honest um Urgbasani relegated Sani says uh bin Olaina, which I thought was potentially a little bit harsh but got a fair bit of love uh, on, on Twitter uh, and Gavin McGar's look man were terrible uh I thought was was very very clever Durs Dubbington's disorganized, disjointed, disinterested um, was pretty sharp. And then Dan Hay, perhaps with the the one that really, really matters, long, hard season. Yeah. And that's my feeling really at the moment is it's just so gloomy. I'm thinking we've got another 35 league games. What, probably a third round FA Cup when we get knocked out by some League Two side on the way between now and May. And I just can't see... A massive amount of reason to be optimistic but maybe by the end of this podcast we'll have we'll have found some reasons um 
George, do you know what? I don't actually think there's a huge amount of point going over the game and the specifics of it massively because we were fairly beaten. What I really want to come on to is what has happened to this Fulham side in two months in just its terms of attitude and desire and, and, and fight there was no fight in Fulham tonight. There was nothing. It was limp. It was lifeless. It was it was lazy. It just looked like people didn't care out there. And the confidence is so drained. I, I'm, I'm lost for words as to how Parker, the, the motivator, the rouser of the troops, has seemingly just lost it in less than a few weeks. Oh, no, it's, it's so sad, isn't it? I saw... Um... Saw him post on Twitter, I think, after the last game, a side-by-side of Parker after the uh, the Brentford playoff win and Parker after the Aston Villa loss. And he just looks, he looks so sad, bless him. I mean, he, he's clearly got such a difficult job to do at the moment. Like, how do you, how do you turn around this as a club? Um, I, I think, you know, I'm going to try and bring a, bring a bit of positivity today. I think we, we can all expect some more signings in uh, in this week obviously the um the international transfer window closes i believe on monday and then we've got another week or so for any uh, national dealings as well so we've got time for some new people to come in fresh energy um to kind of you know challenge some of the players um push them a little bit and you know hopefully lift the spirits a bit and also we've got we got the international break coming up so that's probably the perfect time to try and regroup and maybe, I don't know, do a bit of squad building, try and turn things around. But you're absolutely right. Boy, has, boy has Scott got a difficult job in the, uh, in the coming weeks to, to turn some of the frowns upside down. Jack, tonight's game didn't matter. And we said it before the game that it's a Carabao Cup game. And if Brentford fans think that tonight is some kind of revenge for what happened in August, then it's laughable. But... It really was hard to take tonight because it was a local derby and similar to the derby that we lost back in December. Again, it just looked like the players didn't care, did they? From from minute one, I didn't see an ounce of passion. I didn't see an ounce of desire. And I'm really am sounding a bit Yadar today and all I'm caring about is, <laughs> is passion. But sometimes it needs to be said and, and sometimes... It's it's not necessarily about the tactics. It's not necessarily about who, which centre back you've signed. It's just sometimes you need to roll your socks up and and, and play some play some good football. And, and and just seems that we've completely lost the ability to actually just go out on the pitch and put in a half decent performance. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I actually disagree. I, I thought that passion wasn't the problem tonight. I thought we were poor and I thought we were outplayed. If I'm being, you know straight with it it is just you know one of those things where you look at it and I, I spent the the game in a pub where there were you know Brentford fans there were Fulham fans it was you know a reasonable a reasonably kind of split crowd and, and the Brentford fans celebrated the goals and we, we got a bit of grief but it wasn't massive they, they didn't think you know there was no kind of idea that this was a revenge game you know but what it is is losing 3-0 to local rivals from the division below should be an embarrassment. Like if we in the championship had beaten Crystal Palace in the, you know, in the cup, then they would have been a bit like, that's a bit rank losing to a, a, a rival, if not a local rival, 
you know, from from the division below, that should be something to wake you up to think, right, even the second tier. And that team that played tonight have played in the championship. Quite a lot of them will have played against Brentford last season. And they would have, you know, accepted these losses. And and it wasn't, let's not be straight about it, it wasn't Brentford's first team either. It was no, no, and they were our first team. But it wasn't their first team either. There were players in there, Ben Rama being the kind of obvious one, that were part of that team last year. But it wasn't a full strength against full strength. And, and yet we seem to be outworked, you know, to every ball. And I think the the second goal was kind of the real main issue of this, where we just seem to fall asleep at, at times. And ultimately, when you look at these kind of situations, you think, okay, who's kind of in this for the scrap? And ultimately, no one was in this for the scrap. And we're about to face a season where we need people that are in this for the scrap. When Mitrovic came on, he didn't touch the ball for 10 minutes. And now I'm not saying that's his fault because we didn't put the ball into him for 10 minutes. But ultimately, you bring someone on of that calibre and you go, okay, if Fulham are 2-0 down and we want to try and get ourselves back into this game, you give the ball to your most dangerous player or you get the ball in and around your most dangerous player as much as you can. And yet, people turn to me and below, when did Mitrovic come on? And, and when you look at that and you think, okay, maybe that's not where we're trying to be, it gives you an indication of how kind of off the pace Fulham were tonight. And Scott Parker said before the game, wins turn into wins, right? Wins help boost morale. And all I can see from tonight is that making morale even worse around a camp that has been disadvantaged by some terrible tweets from Tony Khan, have been disadvantaged by some really, really difficult results under Scott Parker and who are struggling to find an identity and a place to stick together. It feels like it's getting worse. Yeah. And we have the small matter of a game against Wolves away at Molyneux on on Sunday to to look forward to. Not exactly the the kind of game that you'd want to try and get things back in order. I mean, Singer, one thing that I do want to talk about from the match was... Um, ben Rama's goal, the the third goal for Brentford. Um, I did see quite a funny tweet. Uh, I think it was from Carl Anika that just said, "If you get Cruyff turned and nutmegged in the same moment, and then they bend it into the far corner, that's it. Your career's over. You must retire." <laughs> I mean, it. Fair play, fair play, Said Ben Rama. He kind of lulled in Michael Hector and just with the most outrageous bit of skill I've ever seen. Sometimes you do just have to hold your hands up and say, yeah, fair play. Just that was, that got was so 40 good. million on him right now. <laughs> He's, I mean, what, what a moment I was, I was listening to, uh, to Jamie and Jim at the time. Um, and kind of, uh, I caught them talking about the goal. And of course they, they kind of played it down a bit as, as you kind of expect, you know, being three nil down and the goal popped up on Twitter a few minutes later. I was just, Oh my god, that's that's amazing! Um, yeah, look, it's it's a great it's a great piece of skill. Um, I think particularly he did well after kind of almost miscontrolling it a little bit to get it back into control and take around Hector like he did to again struggling um, at, at centre back, which is really frustrating to see. It, it was a great finish. Um, ha- I mean, you know, we we could talk about we could talk about the 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 other goals. I mean, of all the of the three goals, that that one there's a moment of brilliance. Like you, you've got to sometimes just take a step back and, and clap and say, look, you know, when you're two 0 down, your your heads drop. Those things happen. For me, 
goal number one and two were far more frustrating to watch. You saw them kind of walk through our midfield, which without Harrison Reed, we're we're really struggling in midfield. You know, we're we're really lacking that bite. And when your midfield pivot is Johansson and Seri, something's not quite right. Like any any midfield worth their salt are just going to walk through that. And that's what Brentford did for the first goal. Um, and for the second goal, like we've we've seen it time and time again, defending set pieces. Like I I just sometimes wonder like whether we actually focus on it in training at all. And the the second goal straight out of the playbook. I mean, they take Ethan Pinnock, big you know big tall centre back, pair him against Anthony Robinson, who's he's never going to outhead him. You know that is that is purely preparation from Brentford. They put the big man against the small man and put it to him. And Robinson's left there without a without a hope of winning that first header. Like Ben Rama's done well to pick it up at the back post. But again, it's these kind of these little issues here and there. And th- th- those are the kind of things like if you can get those little things right and the luck turns in your favour, that's when you can start building momentum. But when you just get these little things wrong, you know, it just compounds everything that we've spoken about and the heads go down and everything gets worse and worse. So, yeah, I mean, for sure, like so many frustrating things to watch, you know, certainly kind of a, around the goals we conceded today. So one of the things that I struggled with, George, was that line when we were defending that free kick for the second goal. Right? One, what on earth is Michael Hector doing? Because he's so far behind everybody else that he plays every single Brentford player on side. Uh, and and two, it looks like we're not being defensively coached, right? And I am more than willing to give criticism to everybody here, right? I'm more than willing to give criticism to the recruitment team who should be top of this list to say that we should be criticizing for not bringing in more reinforcements at the centre-back level. I'm more than willing to criticize Scott Parker, not as much tonight, but for the weird formation that we played at uh, the weekend, I'm more willing to criticize our CEO, Alistair, for, for where we've got to at this point as a club. And he has overseen this transformation. But Stuart Gray has been brought in as a defensive coach. And everyone, when he came back in, was like, oh, the godsend, whatever. When you look at the defensive line for that second goal tonight in that free kick, what is our defensive coach teaching our defense about defending set pieces? Because whatever Michael Hector is doing there... He has lost the plot. Uh, it's it's so frustrating, and it's. I mean, to be fair, this this has been an issue of, of Fulham's for a while. Like, we can't necessarily blame all of that on on Stuart Gray or on Scott. Um, but I, I think it's for me the the frustrating thing about it is like football's a fluid game, right? And you, you get times when players get drawn out of position, and yeah. you know. There are times where you've you've just got to you know put your hands up and say look there's not a lot we can do there but when it comes to defending against set pieces like these are things that you can coach these are things that you can drill and if you understand first of all you've got to get the players to understand the fundamentals of defending set pieces and having a strong plan whether that's you go for something completely zonally or or you go for a man marking system a bit of both. You've, you've got to have a strong system. You understand the strengths of the opposition and the weaknesses of the opposition. And, you know, part of it is exactly like you said, just understanding your defensive formation, having a clear plan and sticking to it. 
And the other piece is understanding the skills of the opposition and giving the players the a, a bit of the freedom to do the right thing at the right time. And that's the the super frustrating thing is like it's not it, it's a case of both of those falling down. It's a case of there's not a clear plan when defending set pieces. I think we're far too zonal and we're really struggling when we're getting late runners, kind of big late runners going into the box late because the players look kind of far too static. Um, And that's where if you get a team like Brentford, who even though they lost their set piece coach to Arsenal, like they, they know pretty well what they're doing on set pieces. They've got a plan that they can execute it so easily because we're just kind of sitting back and letting them. And, you know, it's it's always been a a gripe of mine, set pieces. Like you can, by being better at set pieces and being one of the league's best or one of the world's best, you will, you'll get kind of a net seven, eight, nine goals across a season just by defending them better and attacking them better. And that's like, that's the difference. That's like a 40 million striker there. And it costs nothing. Like it just costs time on the pitch. And it's either the case that the coaches aren't educated enough in like how important set pieces are, or they're really struggling with getting their getting their message across to the players. Like either way, it's frustrating. We see we've seen it every game this season, and we'll we'll just continue to see it. And as a fan, it's just it's beyond frustrating just to see us concede from set pieces time and time and time again. Um, Jack, obviously a lot of anger at the moment is not actually going towards Scott Parker and and the management team is kind of George alluded to that maybe it should there, but of course it's going towards Tony Khan. And I wrote my piece on Monday night. I kind of said my piece where I I, I said that it's time for Tony to, to pick a lane when it comes to his, um, different interests. And I, and I still stand by that since then, we seem to have been linked with every centre-back in the world. The search is looking more and more desperate by the day. I mean, we're being linked with some incredible names in places, um, but it just seems like any centre-back will do at the moment. And it's not a particularly pretty. No, and, and also that's not the the way to look at it, is it? Like, you, you can't just be like, oh, okay, Sam, we'll bring in every centre-back going it doesn't matter of course it matters who they are what they bring and and how they are and and I think there's got to be a level here of looking at what Scott Parker wants and also looking at what we should be looking at as a club right so there are levels to this where Scott Dan and Craig Dawson were linked to the club and and look personally i don't think those two players are the answer i don't think they're bringing in 30 plus center backs from you know premier league clubs who don't want them anymore you know scott dan as i tweeted the other day part of that palace run at the end of the season where they basically just conceded loads of goals lost loads of games uh, and came in but he is an old head you know and he is someone who's been a leader for years I, I i don't want him i don't think he's the player that comes in and sorts his back line out but i can understand why there are links to him on the other heart on the other side you have people like jean-claire tadibo from from barcelona who was obviously on loan last year and was struggling in a, in a quite difficult side when he was out on loan but equally you have people like omar collie from sampdoria now omar collie is a bit of a different kettle of fish he's a little bit more 
Marlon in that no one will have heard of him. He has no Premier League experience, but he has sell-on value and he is a little bit younger and has the kind of personality and profile to develop and maybe sell on. And and now that's what I think we should be looking at in terms of a club. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter what, what I want and what I think the club should be doing right now because what needs to happen is we need to give Scott Parker whatever he thinks is right to try and fight relegation to try and make Fulham a force that can battle in the league to try and stay up this year and so you know what I would like this club to become is you look I know I said it on the last podcast you look at what Brighton are doing and the model that they bring in where they bring in players they you know make them more accessible in the Premier League they make them better players under a good coaching structure and then they sell them on for a profit while remaining in a sustainable league position then fine. Like that's, that's how I think it should be. But right now we almost have to look at what Villa did last year and think, right, it is everything to stay up. You throw the kind of book at the system to stay up. And it's quite a difficult place to be as someone who tries to look at the game holistically, because you have to think about the best interest of the club financially and long-term, but equally how much would staying up on its own do for us as a club? Probably loads. So, you know, it, it, that kind of cross-section cross, cross section of things. The, the recruitment team have put themselves in an incredibly difficult position and, and Tony Khan is at the head of that. He, he needs to think about what has happened in this window and therefore look at why we've ended up with three days of this window to go, being in this panic, in this stress that we haven't brought in the players that the manager wants and the club wants and the fans want. And therefore, look at that as a failure because we've not just been looking at centre-backs for this window. We've been looking at centre-backs forever. You know, we we feel like when we brought in players, even in January of our last Premier League season, to try and help us out, we struggled. And we haven't addressed those issues since that point. And that feels like a really, really long time ago. And so there's so much to do and so much that we haven't done in previous years. I, you know, I, I feel like I'm rambling. No, 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 no. But it's good. It, it's the point that why haven't we addressed these issues before now? And it, it's taken to the point where we've all hit fever pitch to make something happen, to make this kind of, you know, panic. And, and I don't want it to be panicked because these decisions shouldn't be made on panics. They should be made on sensible, long-term football decisions that make sense for the future of the club. But we've got to a point now where we're three days to go and we haven't made any sensible signings. And that doesn't make sense to me. I'd, I'd fully echo what, what Jack's saying there. I think, for me, this it, it shows a real transition in the role of our, our planning in the transfer window. And I think credit credit where do you think about kind of 16, 17 season um, where we're bringing in, we, we had a, a clear structure and a clear plan, right? We were buying younger, undervalued players from abroad who we knew would build up the team, make them stronger and also make money and, and think of, Dennis Adoy and Floyd Ayute and Cabana who have come in and, you know, improved as they've grown and also, you know, they're they're inherently sellable and we, we can move them on and, and make money on them. And I think somehow, somewhere in that period, um, I think I think it was Archie Rintat on um, 
was it on Football Weekly? I, I can't quite remember when when he spoke about it and said how Fulham getting promoted was in no way the result of long-term planning or the whole sustainability piece, which Shahid kind of, that was his buzzword when he first uh, bought the club. It was, you know, we, we only got promoted because of how much money we chucked at promotion. And the money we chucked at promotion was, you know, that that only really gave us value for that year. Buying players like Decadover Reed, like Anthony Knockhart, they, they never were going to be good enough to to, you know, propel us in the Premier League. You know, they weren't young players who would grow and get better and build with the team. They were built, brought in on big money, on big wages. And as soon as we're in the Premier League, now we're stuck because we've got these players, paying them a lot of money. They're not good enough for the league. And we're finding, okay, what what do we do now? We're, we're trying to replace them immediately. And this is where, you know, we, we start to panic because we've suddenly got so much of the squad to shift around in this five week period. And, you know, you can say what, what you want about Tony, but any, well, it's, it's a mess of his own making because without that long-term planning, without thinking two, three, four, five years in the future with the signings that we're making, the positions, who's going to take on the position in three years time, you know, we've, we've made this mess for ourselves and, you know, we're, we're probably in a position where, you know, I, I, I really struggle to see whoever we sign in the next couple of days, like actually it going to be enough to keep the club up. I, I think we're in such a mess at the moment. And it's it's just the really, it's the failure of that long-term planning, as exactly you said, Jack. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really sad about the club at the moment. And it feels like, we just massively papered over the cracks at the end of last season. And the only thing I'm disappointed about is I did honestly think there was a chance that we'd come into this season and show more fight. I really thought that some of the times the way Plaga played, which was quite attritional, might just work in the Prem. And to be fair, he hasn't had an opportunity yet to actually try his attritional style out yet because we haven't taken the lead so far this season in the league, especially. Um, we took the lead twice in the cup and it's worked and we've fallen behind in every game and lost. And um, that brings me on to the questions, which I want to kick off with now. Um, this one's from Alex Pure Power. It says, has Tony Khan distracted us from Scott's struggles as a manager this season? We've only won two games from behind in his 60 plus game tenure. And we seem to make the same mistakes every week. As a man manager, he's great. The football side, however, we consistently underperform. Jack, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree to a point, right? Like, I think that Scott has his issues as a manager, especially when you fall behind. And and look, you only have to look back to last season. And, and the game that springs to mind, rightly or wrongly, is that Charlton game at home where we just suddenly started playing Cav and Knocker as wing backs. And we drew to all in the end, but it was just chaos from, from the moment that we went behind. And you know, the, the the facts are facts. You know, we only, we don't come from behind and win games. And and ultimately, that's a, is a point on Scott's style. But even now, I can't throw the book at him. I think Scott was wrong at the weekend. I think that we should never have gone five at the back because I don't think that putting extra defenders in and giving yourselves less bodies in midfield, especially ones that can cover things, will ever put you in a good position when those defenders are not, 
up to scratch, right? You don't fix things by just chucking more bodies at something. You have to try and work solutions around it that, you know, you can't just just chuck in other players and be like, oh yeah, that'll work. That, that that seems to plug that gap. We saw that with Claudio Ranieri, where he just threw bodies into the middle, tried to make us five at the back to kind of plug a hole. And it didn't work because five at the back won't sue us because we've not learned how to play five at the back. And look, I don't believe that that's a system that works for a progressive team that wants to keep the ball. And which is what we are underscore, even if those, you know, that possession is a little bit, passive at times we are a possession-based side it, it doesn't necessarily add up having five at the back in, in, in this scenario because we don't get enough bodies forward but i'm you know unwilling to throw the book at scott because he's trying to plug gaps that he doesn't have the pieces to plug at the moment and and therefore the situation should arise that if scott gets given those pieces he will return to a system that makes more sense. The problem I have at the moment is because none of it is making sense. I can't be angry. I mean, I'm angry at all of it. I'm angry at Scott for making those decisions, for deciding to be not brave enough to just stick with what the system that he know can work. I'm angry that we haven't got the pieces in place that with the recruitment to allow Scott to play the system that he knows works. And I'm angry at the players for, you know, not showing the kind of, heart I wish you know I wish I wasn't saying this because it it doesn't add up with my kind of philosophy of what it is I don't think games are won on passion but you know especially tonight we haven't shown any sort of desire and I think especially with Brentford's first goal you see those two missed tackles in the middle and they're both bottled tackles aren't they you know let's be perfectly honest with it they are bottled tackles and so the the Blame goes everywhere, but ultimately it stems from the top down. And I think all of these problems and the problems that Scott has, which are problems, are part of a a bigger issue. I think Scott would be playing better systems if he had the pieces in place to play those better systems. When does Parker start getting pressure, asks PFFC11. Surely just two months since signing a new contract, sacking him would make the Khans look ridiculous, but not doing it and sticking with him if it keeps going like it is will also do the same. George, I don't believe that Parker should be under any pressure, and I honestly do believe that we should stick with him for the season, Um, but interested to know your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I'd... On balance, I'd, I'd probably agree with you there. Um, I, I, you know, speak, speaking honestly, when he first took over as manager full time, I, I don't think he was the right choice. Um, and we, whilst he, of course, deserves a huge amount of credit for getting us promoted, he let let's be honest here, right? He he did take a very expensively you know, a lot of money went into the squad and we were the fourth best team in the league. Like we got promoted through the playoffs. Great. We managed those big games. Well, great, but let's not kid ourselves. We, we weren't, you know, we weren't really, uh, you know, we, we, we got up by the skin of our teeth. That said, I do think he has grown hugely as a manager. And I think we, we kind of need to respect that, you know, Scott Parker now compared to Scott Parker when he, first started looking after the team and you know the the times right in the the start of last season when he was chucking you know a huge amount of attacking players to try and claw back games you know he he's far more sensible now um i think he will continue to get better and and this is a huge learning experience for him 
Um, so what's the best mattress for you? Well, if you're an egg or a kitten, check out the competition. But if you're a human person, put your body on a nectar mattress. As well as award-winning layers of comfort, you can sleep easy knowing you got incredible value. Mattresses start at just $499, and you get hundreds of dollars in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. I think whether we stay up or, or go down, if we keep him, we will have a very good and far more experienced manager on our hands. So, uh, you know, w- with that in mind, he, he would be a good person to keep hold of. And whilst I do think there are better managers who we could pick up, I, I, I struggle to see any manager out there who would want to pick up this, you know, frankly, a, a bit of a mess of a situation of a, a team in a bit of free fall. You know, what, what manager would want to come in with, the amount of kind of aggro we're getting from a recruitment point of view as well. I know kind of the, the more modern managers are, are more used to being kind of a, a bit of a sole head coach role, but I can't see any experienced manager worth their salt willing to come in and continue giving Tony Khan full responsibility for tran- for uh, for transfers coming in. So, Well, the only person I could see coming in are... The, the horrible cliche classic managers who will just do it for a big paycheck. And you look at the likes of Nigel Pearson, who was clearly prepared to put up with the chaos at Watford. To a point until he literally punched Gino Pozzo in the face. I guess, but you know, the big Sams of this world. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's surely the biggest mandate of all that they are not willing to put up with it. Well, he will, though, because you offer enough money at these managers and they'll just see it as a payday. And whether they if they if you keep them up, then amazing, you get an absolute huge bonus. And if you don't, then it's it's six months work and you tried and well, you, you, your credibility is not that high anyway. So what have you got to lose? Like there will be managers willing to do it just because we'll throw money at them and look at look at Ranieri. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just making a point that. I actually think arguably the old school kind of dinosaur manager school, if you will, actually probably wouldn't put up with that because they'll want the players that they want. You remember Harry Redknapp deciding that he wanted Nico Crankyar at every single club he ever managed. <laughs> and then you're thinking that's not going to fit with a with a statistics model, is it? Like it is not going to necessarily grow in. And look, I, I don't disagree. I think that we shouldn't be signing players like, Nico Crankia, obviously he's finished. Yeah, I know what you mean. Of that kind of mould, you know what I mean? It, it, the point being that actually it takes a special kind of, of person to fit within a system like this. And whether that's right or wrong, like it's a very difficult thing. I, I can't see Scott Parker getting sacked. I, I could see him potentially walking if he gets so fed up that he can't actually feel that he can take this squad anywhere. But I can't see him getting sacked. Well, you wonder if you were Scott Parker and you're thinking, okay, right, I've got a career on the line here. At the moment, everyone still thinks that I'm pretty good because I won the playoff final with Fulham. If he walked and was cited the fact that he can't work with Tony, can't work under this structure, um, Fulham's a shambles, I think his credibility would still be quite high. I think he'd go. I think he'd get another job. I don't necessarily know if it'd be a Premier League job, but I think he'd get another 
half decent job and the longer it goes on and the more mistakes he makes in the Premier League and presumably we get relegated and finish 20th like we probably will and should his 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 reputation I mean, goes very down. pessimistic <laughs> I know I know I'm really uh, on a downer today <laughs> Yeah, I'd 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 say um, I'd say in, in some ways he's a bit lucky that Tony's come out and be as public as he has with what he has done. Um, that's probably like the nicest way I can I can put it. Like he, he's been a clown. Like J- um, Jamie Carragher's spot on. Like I don't often agree with what he says, but him and Roy Keane were absolutely spot on. He's been a total clown. Like tweeting anyway after after a match. Like, first of all, tweeting about big multi-million pound deals. Like, think of any other business in the world outside of football, like, you know, multinational pound deals. Like, you do not talk about them. There's there's NDAs. Like, you shouldn't talk about these things in general in the public sphere. Take, take that back to football, George, for a second. You don't see Monchi doing this. No. You know, like Lewis Campos isn't signing these about uh, when he was at Lille. Michael Edwards at Liverpool isn't tweeting about what, what what on earth is going on. Do you know what yeah, I mean? 100%. I, yeah. If we take a bit of time and compare Khan against Monchi, like, uh, I know it's I know not. Monchi's a, a, like a, an extreme example maybe, but the director of football job is such a busy and important one. And, you know, obviously it's, it's hard to know exactly what goes on behind the scenes, but from little interviews you hear with about people like Monchi, like the job is nonstop. Like it, it is a 24 hours a day. Like it's not a job, it's your life. Like it, it has to be your life because so much goes on. I think he was saying like, I've read in an interview, like his phone just constantly goes like within two minutes, he would get WhatsApps from three or four or five different agents. Like it's nonstop, it's your life. Like you just have to be on it all the time. And that's where number one, Sammy, I think you're, you're spot on about picking the lane. Like you've got to, Pick one and do it properly. Don't do three jobs mediocrely. Do one and do it great. And secondly, the the professionalism of it. Like y- you can't go tweeting about it on Twitter at all. Like we, he might think fans want to hear about this stuff, but really, man, keep it under wraps. Like keep it under wraps, and fans will will prefer will be much happier if you get the job done compared to just talking about jobs that didn't get done. And also, yeah. why, why is he why is he talking on Twitter after a game? Like, we all know how toxic Twitter can get. Like, it, he couldn't have said anything which would have made the situation better after a game. After a game, just just take a step back. People have always criticised that there are only tweets after wins and never tweets after losses, right? So there is something in that, right? There, there's taking some sort of accountability which you you know you got to give credit taking accountability is is something in itself but it i agree with you it wasn't the right thing to do but the, or the original tweet might have been although i wouldn't have phrased it in the way that it was phrased but the follow up tweets and the replies and all of those things have been the thing that have sent this whole thing over the edge, right? If there was one tweet that was like sorry for this we're working on trying to bring in some centre halves i think everyone would have been like okay fine like i mean they wouldn't no, okay, but there would have been there would have been so much less backlash than what eventually happened. 
Yeah. No, I think, I think I think everyone is totally spot on. I've not thought that Tony Khan should be as vocal as he is on social media for a long time. Like, I don't think it's a terrible thing for a, a director of football to have some kind of thing on Twitter, something that maybe he reaches out to fans occasionally. I don't think it's an awful strategy, but like it needed, to, it needs to be so much better managed. And look, we've met Tony Jack and yeah. well, look the process behind that interview there are a lot of people that work for Tony right the amount of hoops that we had to jump through to get that interview was enormous it's not so and they must just be pulling their hair out and it's a sorry sorry mess and and I'm I'm just very angry at the moment because whilst yes Premier League is a very good level and we're not expected to win every game and and 3-0 defeats to the likes of Aston Villa were likely to happen this season. We were under massive pressure. I just think that we are shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, I mean, look, we we've had conversations in the past and uh, and things have been, you know, we we've had that that conversation about all of these things and we've asked questions and and that's all we can do as as an independent fan outlet where we can try and ask the questions we think are most pertinent to the club at the time and that's what we did at the time and those questions are were answered and we thought okay we've taken those answers and moved them forward and I don't think those answers would now stand up today that's what I would say I, I don't think the answers that we were given then would be the same answers that would be given now and if that interview would happen again then I would like to ask different questions that's all that's all I would say about this because you know I am I'm grateful that we got to have that interview and I'm I'm pleased that they allowed us to have a conversation in the manner that we did with Tony and I'm glad that we were given that opportunity but I think the questions that we would ask today are different questions to the questions we'd ask them because that's where we were at the time and and we're in a different place now and I think there are bigger questions to be asked at this point in Fulham's career as there were then. Yeah, exactly. Right, well, we're going to take a little bit of a break uh, and afterwards we're going to look ahead to Sunday's game at Wolves. If you enjoy Fulhamish and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please consider giving us a positive rating and review. It really helps us to reach new Fulham fans across the world. If you don't use Apple but want to give us a review, head to the Fulhamish Facebook page and give us a rating there instead. Thank you. Welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here with George Singer. Hello. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. So look, it's been a pretty frank, open, honest podcast as much as we can uh, up until now. And we need to look ahead to Sunday, which is a game against Wolves at Molyneux. I mean, an interesting one, really. Obviously, they got absolutely spanked by West Ham at the weekend, um, which was probably the most unexpected result of the weekend by by far. It was a good performance from West Ham as much as it wasn't a great performance by Wolves. Um We'll have an interview with um, a fan from Talking Wolves in just a sec, guys. But Jack, you know, you spoke about how you didn't like the five at the back. It didn't work on on Monday. Um, I'm going to presume there's not going to be any signings that will be brought in in time for us to play on Sunday. So given what we have right now, what do you do to try and plug the gaps and try and get a result out of what looks like a really really horrible difficult game yeah I mean I, I think you have to just try and stick with with what you've got I suppose at the back when it comes to these things I mean Kenny Tete appears to be out 
So there's going to be no return for him at the weekend, which means Dennis Adoy probably has to play right Aina? back. I didn't think he wasn't amazing. I didn't think that Olaina did particularly well defensively tonight. I, I thought he was okay going forward, um, but I didn't think he'd done enough to really aggressively earn a spot in the squad. Um, he, he did fine, uh, and it, but he was a little bit suspect defensively. I, I thought, and, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but that was that was what I read it as. And I would still go back to Joe Bryan. I thought Anthony Robinson was quite poor, if I'm honest. And there's been a lot of chat about how Anthony Robinson might be the man to stick in at left back. I thought tonight his kind of flaws showed quite a lot. I thought his defensive aspects were quite poor. I thought his attacking aspects were limited by the fact that there was you know, a reasonable double up on him as a fullback. And I would bring Joe Bryan back in straight away. I would play Hector... And probably Ream because I, I don't think there's that many options. I thought MLM did all right tonight, but I, I wouldn't stick him back in for the sake of sticking him back in. Um, Harrison Reed looks like he remains injured, which is a massive blow, I think. Um, and, and I would therefore play, uh, you know, a midfield three that that aggressively knew each other. I would play Onoma alongside Tom Kearney and Angisa. I think at least Onoma brings the legs in there in the middle as an eight. And I hope that Tom Kearney would therefore try and get a little bit further forward and, and try and affect the game further up. And I'd hope that Onoma's kind of bustle in the middle would cover Anguissa's. You know, while Anguissa has, I think, been our best player through the, the first couple of games, I think his defensive limitations were exposed by the fact that he was in a two with Tom Kearney in the last game. Uh, and therefore, I would probably play the three of those together. Um, I'd start... Lookman, after what he showed in the second half tonight, we haven't discussed it very much, but I actually thought that Adamola Lookman was the brightest spark and potentially the only high point that we could take out of Fulham's performance tonight. Uh, I thought when he came on, he looked lively. I thought he connected really well with the players around him. I thought he looked like he was about to make things happen. And, you know, ultimately, while he, he, he wasn't necessarily a you know, a game changer in the way that we obviously lost the game and we were one nil down at half time when he came on and three nil down at the end in that forty five minutes. I, I thought he was Fulham's right spark. I'd start Mitrovic and I would probably start Abuba Kakamara still just for the pure chaos element that he gives you and you know, just allowing him to run. I, I thought Anthony Knockart got a fair bit of grief tonight. He, he wasn't that bad as far as I was concerned. He worked really hard. He's not you know, the liveliest wire in terms of actually getting things done. And yes, he does, you know, thrive a little bit on passion. But ultimately, you know, with, with what we've seen from our wingers in the last couple of weeks, uh, I struggled to think that anyone would give you more in both ends of the pitch than Nancy Knockout would. At least he, he works really hard both ways uh, and will give your right back some cover, mm. especially when we're struggling here with, with Kenny Tete injured. I think he'll be able to give Dennis Adoy a little bit of cover at right back. So I'd probably start Anthony Knockout. Um, George, what are your thoughts on, on what we need to do on, on Sunday to I mean, have a uh, go? Jack, you, you, you've pretty much covered it, mate. Um, the the only thing which I'd maybe change from from Jack's template there, I think in midfield we're like like Jack mentioned. I think we're really struggling without Harrison Reed because we we don't have anyone else as that profile in the club. You know, Kevin McDonald. As much as I love the guy, he's he's off. He he's gone. Um, and you know, bit of bit of covered ground here, but but I do think Park has been kind of left in the lurch a bit here without you know proper cover in the defensive role, and 
and Gisa. This is what Florentino Luis would have brought, right? I, exactly. That's that's kind of what I was what I was assuming and hoping there. But obviously, that that now has uh, is off to Monaco. So you know, we'll, we'll see if someone else comes in. But I think that's where, for me, like probably the only route we can go down is to almost like let's fight fire with fire here. Like Wolves are a rapid side, loads of energy, quick. Like let's if we have a midfield of Angisa and Lamina. Like uh, he's injured. Lamina's injured. Otherwise, I would have stuck him oh, in. Well, I don't know. Johansson, maybe. Just I'm, I'm thinking. Potentially. I'm thinking kind of similar role of of plenty of energy there. So you know, I, I think it, it's a really difficult one. Like honestly, I, whilst I, I get why you picked the midfield three and probably injuries, considering that that's the best option, but like they're they're going to get walked over. Like imagine Adama Traore against. Tom Kearney, like he's not gonna have a open L. Um so so yeah, like pack pack the midfield with as much energy as you possibly can. Hope that Lookman can kind of, you know, make a make a piece of magic and just kind of cross your fingers and, and wait. I would say that I don't like five at the back. But if he is gonna go five at the back, it should a hundred percent be a five three two, not a five two three. It should be a packed middle that would allow the the wing backs to bomb on. Like uh, what we saw, you know, on the on Monday against against Villa was that the two in the middle got completely and utterly overrun from minute one. It has to be three in the middle if we're going to play five at the back, and it has to be maybe a two up front. And maybe that two up front is Lukman and Mitrovic, and they just try and Lukman tries to buzz off balls that Mitrovic wins but I wouldn't do it but if that is going to be five of the back that Scott wants that's how I would yeah do it. I fully agree on that I think that we, we just I mean and, and certainly if you're going to play a two in the middle just you cannot put someone like Tom Kearney in there like we we love we love Tom we know what Tom can do on his day but he is not going to battle with just one other midfielder against Premier League midfields and and i thought tc was all right on monday yeah but, but i mean being that yeah. he didn't he he doesn't give you what you need in a two-man midfield in that response I, I thought actually weirdly he played okay but the point being that he was never going to be that fighter that you need you want tom kenny as the third man the spare man the kind of creator in a three right never the Never the two in a pivot. Yeah, exactly. It was it was it was doomed to fail from from minute one as soon as that lineup came out, and I'm I'm, I'm stunned that no one else saw it, but all us fans could. Right, let's get an opposition view on, on things ahead of Sunday's game. Uh, I spoke to Dave as a party from Talking Wolves, and I started off by asking him what the feeling in the camp is after that difficult defeat to West Ham last weekend. Uh, yeah, it was a bit of a strange one that, and I think it was one of the the more humiliating defeats uh, under Nuno, if I'm honest, and one of the most uh, surprising. I think a lot of Wolves fans went into that game thinking, you know what, we're going to get something out of this game, especially with West Ham having a bit of a shaky start. Um, and yes, Sunday was atrocious, really. Um, I'm normally probably one of the most positive Wolves fans out there, and even I was really disappointed and upset about that result. And uh, yeah, no disrespect to Fulham, but I think it's a decent game for us to try and get back to some sort of positive ways. So yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes this weekend for sure. Don't worry. I think any respect for us (laughs) went out the window on Monday night against um, Aston Villa. Now, obviously yourselves and Fulham came up to the Premier League a few seasons ago and we were kind of put in the same bracket really, weren't we? When we were both promoted, everyone kind of thought that Cardiff dead certs to go down, but it's Fulham and Wolves will be great. Now, one of us kind of fulfilled the prophecy and that was very much you guys. And obviously we 
really struggled. We got relegated. We're back. What do you think the difference was when you maybe look at Fulham between what yourselves and us did? Because we both spent lots of money. We both spent similar amounts of money. But what was it that you think meant that Wolves had the winning ingredient whilst whilst Fulham didn't? It's a bit of a strange one, really, because... Um... When obviously when we came up together, there was a couple of transfers that you guys made, and uh, that was quite jealous of. Really, there were some players in there. I thought I'd loved, I would have loved them at Wolves. Um, and obviously, the the more players you guys signed, the more money you spent. Like you say, everyone was sort of comparing us to. Um, so it was a bit of a shock to see you guys, you know, really struggling and go down. It's quite hard to pinpoint a reason for that why we did so well. I think Nuno kept his squad pretty small and just used the same eleven quite consistently and quite a lot. So I think that could have been a big reason for it, really. Obviously, I don't know the, a huge amount of in, uh, the ins and outs of what happened at Fulham that that season, really, sort of behind the scenes. But I'd probably put Wolves' successful season down to consistency, really. And it happened again last year. You know, we had a pretty good campaign, and I think Nuno used about. Uh, 21 players, I think, in the Premier League altogether, which is a ridiculous amount, really. So possibly even less than that. I think it might be 19. So, yeah, it's been the same since Nudo came in. Just consistency, small squad. And I think that's been a big reason for our success. Do you think, though, there is a worry amongst Wolves fans that maybe this could be some kind of burnout? Obviously, um, you have played so many games last year. You did so well getting to the stage that you did in Europe and you played all those Premier League games as well. There must be a concern, particularly after Sunday's performance and, you know, going out the cup, you weighed it the way you did to Stoke. OK, no one's going to look too much into the game that you played against um, yeah. Man City. If anything, you played quite well. But there must be a little concern that, you know, Nuno uses small squads and that maybe this season might be a little bit more difficult than the others that have gone before. A hundred percent. I think we were all very shocked last season when we had such a small squad going into the Europa League. You guys saw, you know, Thursday, Sunday or Thursday, Monday, every week we started our campaign in like July as well with the qualifiers. And I think it's shocked a lot of fans. We were disappointed at the end of last season because European football was in our hands again and we chucked it away in the last couple of games after lockdown. Um, but this season, we all expected a much bigger squad. Nuno sort of hinted that after we lost to Sevilla and got knocked out of the Europa League. And in terms of actual numbers, it's about the same. I think our depth is slightly better. But already this season, we've experienced more injuries than we had probably throughout the whole of last season, really. So depth is really a shock um, and, and, you know, and something that we've really got to work on, hopefully, for the remainder of the transfer window. Um, but the pre-season as well, it's almost, with Wolves finishing the season a little bit later, it's almost been non-existent for Wolves and with the international break before the season kicked off. Um, so I was really worried going into the season. We beat Sheffield United, which was I was surprised about. Uh, Man City game, like you say, you know, yeah, mate, you know, one of those, you know, you never know what to expect against City. Um, but then, yeah, the West Ham result was a bit of a reality check, really. So I think this weekend is going to be a big teller to see how Wolves react to that. If we go on a stretch now of a couple of defeats or a couple of games where we drop points, I think Wolves fans are going to get start to get really worried because between now and sort of, the start of November, we've got four or five really favourable fixtures against you, Leeds, 
there's a couple of teams that you know will be fighting relegation that we're up against where we've really got to start picking up points now the great thing about kind of going through your team is also it can double up as a preview for portugal in um, euro <laughs> 2020 which which is always nice but what what's the kind of style of play that that nuno tends to play i think a lot of us will have heard of many of your players they're obviously household names um, i'm a massive fan of, of Raul jimenez um, and obviously neves and moutinho in midfield are, are absolutely class and and of course triore on the wings yeah. <laughs> is is absolute gas and uh, we know the damage that that he can do to to left backs on a on a weekly basis but talk through how nuno likes to to set up his side and and what the kind of standard wolves starting 11 tends to look like well in terms of formation uh, Nuno has never changed from his five at the back. Of course, he's changed the variations and so on. But every game I've seen, Nuno manage at Wolves has been three centre-backs and two wing-backs, regardless of score, regardless of result. So, obviously, goalkeeper, your five at the back. Um, we tended to play last season like a 5-3-2. So, you'd have your five at the back, three central midfielders and two strikers. But what he started to go with a lot this season already is five at the back, two central midfielders, two wingers and a striker. Um, there's been all this, you know, all these reports over summer that Nuno wants to change his style of play rather than being like a counter-attacking side, which we were last season. He wants to be the team now that bosses the games and to see us score more goals and so on, which is fair enough, but it hasn't really worked out too well so far this season. So it'll be interesting to see if he tweaks his plan ahead of Sunday, but I'd assume he'll stick with the same idea of five at the back, two in midfield, two wingers and a striker. Um, in terms of who starts, again, it's sort of up in the air at the moment with a couple of injuries that we've got. Um, I think the back five will probably stay as it is, which was Patricio in goal, new signing Nelson Semedo at right wing back. Uh, Vinagre should play at left wing back unless um, Marcel, uh, a new signing, unless he comes back from injury. And I assume Sace, Cody and Bolly will start. However, after the defeat to West Ham, Nuno might shake it up a little bit. Same with the midfield as well. Neves and Matinho are in there, but both have looked a little bit leggy. Is this the season now where Matinho's legs start to go? Because he's been playing, he's probably played close to 100 games over the last two years for Wolves. For someone of his age, that's a lot of game time. Um, and then Jimenez is a cert to start up from, but then you've got a toss up between Pedence, Traore and Pedro Neto that, to start on the wing. So it will be interesting to see how we start and how we, how we line up. God, it's such a wonderful array of uh, players <laughs> to be able to choose from. I can't not say I'm jealous when I, when I, when I hear you go through the potential options for, for that lineup. And yeah, for me, Raul Jimenez is just a wonderful striker. I know you must be upset to lose Diogo Jota to Liverpool. And I realise that maybe he's a bit more of a future prospect than Jimenez. But yeah. kind of nuts, really, that someone like Jimenez was was a third choice striker before he joined Wolves. And look at him now. He, he's one of the best strikers in the league. Yeah, I, the thing with Jimenez was I remember he raised a few eyebrows when he was close to joining because it was one of the typical Wolves signings where it like comes out of the blue. There's no, you know, a lot of uh, rumours, you know, take weeks and then the signing comes about. The Wolves rumours just ever since Fosin have come in, normally he links with a player and he signs the next day. And the Jimenez one was an interesting one because obviously we'd just been promoted to the Premier League. We sort of needed a striker and he was linked. And although, you know, you look at his game time or the amount of games he's played and his goal ratio wasn't great, but then you look at his goals per minute, like in Portugal, he was classed as like a super sub at Benfica because he would just come on the pitch and score a goal. And I've been really impressed, like for the last two or three years, how he's gone at Wolves. Um, and I think it's just, you know, 
now people just almost take it for granted that he's going to score goals, you know, on match reviews or podcasts that we do. We don't speak about him a lot because it's just like now you go to a match and expect Raul Jimenez to score. It's just an in thing. So uh, we get a lot of Mexicans on our videos angry that I don't speak about Jimenez much. But when he's scoring goals, it's just what you expect him to do. He's a really, really good footballer. Yeah, yeah I, I, am, I am such a big fan. I think if there was maybe a player outside the top six that I could get into Fulham, I mean, probably actually the one department of the uh, team that we don't really need right now is a uh, yeah. is an out-and-out striker. But still, really, really big fan of Jimenez. Um, so what did West Ham do on Sunday that opened up Wolves so much? Obviously, you know, pretty struggling side and Fulham will look for some inspiration from that. Obviously, we've had a horrendous start to the season, but kind of so at West Ham and okay, we're away, they're at home, slightly different circumstances. But what was it that West Ham did that really opened up Wolves and that maybe the Fulham scouts and manager should kind of have a look at to try and work out the best way to minimise your threats and profit going forward it was an interesting one really because you know Wolves seemed to have that West Ham game under control for the first part of the game and then just fell to bits really um first uh, first goal I think was just lack of concentration from the back line that was you know West Ham took a free um a quick free kick and obviously profited off that with Jared Bowen um but the thing is with busy and uh, physical strikers I think Wolves struggle with. I remember Connor Cody, not just once, a couple of times, has really struggled with Mitrovic. Um, so I think someone like him, you know, if you pin him on on someone like Cody or even Sace, you know, he could cause some problems. And it has happened a couple of times. I don't think not, not so much the last time you were in the Prem, but I remember at Craven Cottage uh, in the Championship when you beat us, I think that was a, a huge factor towards that. And that, that's the type of thing that Mikel Antonio and Jared Bone did at the weekend. Set pieces as well. They scored off a set piece. Um, but yeah, just just aerially and physically, I think West Ham got the better of us on uh, on Sunday. And I think with the likes of some of the bigger strikers that you've got, you know, that, that could cause Wolves a bit of a problem. Yeah, definitely. Well, sounds like a key one for Mitrovic then to, to get his teeth yeah. in too. So, um, Dave, just to, to finish off, what do you think the score is going to be on Sunday? Well, I'm, I am hoping Wolves um, Wolves get back to winning ways and uh, I'm going to predict a 2-1 win. Cool. Thank you, Dave. Well, thank you for being on Fulhamish and uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you very much to Dave from Talking Wolves podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, make sure you check them out uh, for any of your Wolves content or recommend them to a Wolves friend that you might have. Uh, quite a niche uh, recommendation from me there, but you just never know. Uh, so we're going to be back uh, early next week, uh, Sunday night, Monday morning, looking back at the Wolves game. And then if it is an international break. I imagine there'll some be some reaction to the deadline day, which is on Monday as well. So plenty of Fulhamish content coming your way. And you know what? It's one of those evenings where doing this podcast isn't that fun like it's slightly more of a chore than a pleasure um but and someone said to us like lads have an evening off don't record a podcast tonight and whilst it can be really tempting i think in these moments to think i know what i'm just going to lock fulham away and not talk about it i think that when you have a platform like we do you have to take the rough with the smooth and you can't just you know, celebrate the good times and make loads of podcasts and content and videos when you win playoff finals. And then, you know, when you lose four games in a row and you can see 10 goals in three games, just just shut it off and, and say, now nah, we'll, we'll leave it for a week. So thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for making it all the way through the pod. And 
I'm just hoping brighter times are on the way and it's pretty bleak right now and you know we got a question from our very own Richard Bamber who said are Fulham going to win a game this season I'm not confident that they will and Personally, no, I'm not massively confident that we will either. But uh, we've already beat Sheffield Wednesday, lads. We're all right. We're all right. But look, there's a lot of more twists and turns on the way. Um, I know that much for a fact. And yes, okay, we could be the next Derby County or the next Huddersfield. But you know, stranger things have happened in football than maybe us not surviving, but us turning it around, putting in some decent performances, gelling as a team. These things aren't impossible, but they feel it a bit right now. So, fingers crossed, we can get back to some kind of winning ways and well wouldn't it be completely typical to do it on Sunday but I'm not holding my breath uh thank you very much for joining us today Jack what are you going to go with the podcast name today I uh can't see past Sophie Johnson's magic to tragic great well uh we'll see you very soon George Singer thank you for being on the pod today thanks Sammy and Jack thank you for very much being on the pod today thanks Sammy appreciate the catharsis and also remember that Palace once lost seven games on the trot at the start of the season and then survived, although they did have Roy Hodgson. Well, maybe that's the answer. Come back, Roy. Uh, we'll see you after the Wolves game. Have a good weekend. Come on, you whites. You whites. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.